0: Everyone, welcome to the Purely Nourished podcast. My name is Amanda Fitt. I am your host. It is very smoky here in Central Oregon right now. It is kind of a major bummer because it is getting really cool, like really nice temperatures out. Finally, we were in the nineties, like above nineties for a very long time and it's finally in the seventies and yet we cannot play outside because it's really crappy. But trying to stay optimistic overall, hoping it clears up soon, and hopefully you have clear air wherever you are. Well, I am very excited to bring you today's episode. This is a topic that is super near and dear to my heart, not only because A, I love to talk about it, (laughs) but B, it's something that I personally have struggled with basically my whole life, well, at least the majority of my life. And It is pretty much the reason why I ended up getting into the field of nutrition was because I was trying to tackle my own health issues really surrounding hormones. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about healthy hormones for athletes with a period, or if you used to have a period, it definitely applies to you as well. But really what I want to do today is give you a big overview of hormone health, Specifically, like I mentioned, for athletes with a period. And how I'm going to break this up for you today is by giving you a big overview of what systems and organs I'm actually referring to when speaking about hormone health. And this is, trying to keep this organized in a way that's going to make sense, <laughs> hopefully help you see the connections between all of these different systems, how, spoiler spoiler alert, it's not just your sex hormones that we're talking about when we're talking about hormone health. There's so much that is connected here. And I also really want to break this up for you in this kind of systems way, really to help you identify where you might need the most support in terms of your own hormone health and what areas of your own body to focus on to really improve your wellness in this topic overall. And of course, towards the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you some actionable tips as well to start implementing to target these specific systems that might need the most support for you in particular. Additionally, if you submitted a question on hormones via Instagram, I put a little question box up at the beginning of the week asking what questions you have and want answered. Make sure you stick around to the very end of the episode because I'm going to be answering all of those questions. Then after I kind of describe all the stuff that I want to talk about throughout this throughout the episode to give you some context for those answers. So, just to give you a little bit of background on my own personal story with hormonal health, it's been a journey. Um, And I won't give you the full, full, long blown details. I'll probably do a whole separate podcast episode one day on just kind of my whole background and story on all this. But it really starts when I was about 14. So probably around the time that I got my period, which was like very late eighth grade, um, I started breaking out and I started getting acne. And that was my primary complaint. And my freshman year of high school, of course, no girl wants to have a zitty face. <laughs> and so I decided that it would be time to go see a dermatologist. Now, I didn't have my period. I did not have my period for even a full year before I had this appointment with this dermatologist. So I was about 14 and a half, a little over 14. So I don't even remember what my cycle was. I don't remember if it was regular. I don't remember, you know, how painful it was or how heavy it was. I literally did not have it long enough to even know. So, you know, just shy of my 15th birthday, went to a dermatologist and got prescribed an oral contraceptive for my skin, as well as my very first round of antibiotics. So these are tetracyclines. Um, They are oral antibiotics given to help acne. And one round is three months long. So here I am, almost 15 years old, starting both an oral contraceptive and antibiotics at the same time. And that is really what kind of started my whole journey with hormones. Because to be honest with you, I don't know if I would have had the issues and the struggles throughout my entire 20s, which, by the way, has been gut issues, still acne. (laughs) Um, When I tried to go off the birth control pill, it was a mess. I had really terrible periods and I started to get irregular periods. I gained a bunch of weight over the course of, I tried to stay off of it for just over two and a half years. That's a whole another story in and of itself. But unfortunately at the time I did not have the tools that I have now to really support my body through the process. So Again, very unfortunately, I was convinced by my OBG to go back on the pill to, quote unquote, fix all of my issues, which of course didn't happen. So here I am just trying to get better, be healthier, you know, do all of the things. And in my opinion, I was really just making everything worse. I was exacerbating my gut issues. I never fixed the root cause of my acne and To be perfectly honest, I think that the pill, the multiple courses of antibiotics, and so, so many other factors just continued to ignite the fire that was going on in my body and just perpetuate all of the issues that I once um, thought could be fixed with, you know, the initial birth control pill. So anyways, that's just a little bit of background into my journey. And flash forward till now, my gut is... Fantastic. I have done so much work over the last six months to heal my gut. I am transitioning off of the pill for the final time and it is going so, so much better this time. Because, again, I have so many resources and tools in my toolkit, obviously, as a practitioner now. And my skin is great. (laughs) My skin is the best it has ever been in my entire life. Of course, you know, I could have a little bit of rebound with some skin stuff some months down the road. But I'm feeling super, super hopeful. This is one of my favorite topics to help women with. Some people come to me wanting to get off the pill, but others come to me years later still trying to rectify all of the issues that happened while they were on the pill because the issues that they originally had never got fixed in the first place. So one of my favorite parts of my job, because again, it's so near and dear to my heart that I just love helping women with all of these issues. I just wanted to give you a little insight into my own personal journey there, my own background with hormones, how it has played a huge role in my life, even still to this day. But I really want to empower you to see all of these different moving pieces when it comes to hormone health and how they all relate. So let me break down how we're what we're gonna talk about in this podcast episode today. So first I am going to tell you how I define hormone health and what hormones, organs, and bodily systems are all involved. We're also going to talk about the symptoms and conditions that present from all of these different systems being a little bit off. Then we're going to talk about how dysregulated hormones and, of course, the symptoms that come with it impact your performance as an athlete. And then we're going to focus on what you can do to actually help improve your hormone balance. So I'm going to give you actionable tips to start implementing, as well as some next steps for you to consider if you are someone who is really dealing with any of the stuff I'm talking about in this podcast today. All right, so let's start with the big one, our sex hormones and our reproductive system. So when I'm talking about our sex hormones, I am talking about estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And there are three types of estrogen. These three primary estrogen are estrone, estradiol, and estriol. And we'll come back to this in a little bit, but just know that when we're talking about estrogen, we're talking about actually three different uh, variations of estrogen. And the thing is, all of these hormones are very, very important and they all serve unique purposes on our in our body, and we want all of these hormones to be in their happy, optimal ratios and optimal balance. For example, testosterone in women always gets a bad rap, right? Which, I mean, if we have testosterone in excess, of course that can cause really negative symptoms, acne being one of them, for example. However, testosterone is very, very important in women. It is So essential for our libido, it influences our mood, our energy levels, our physical fitness, like so, so much is important about testosterone. So the take-home message here is that we want all of our hormones to be in an optimal balance. So something that I want you to know is that all of these sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, they're all synthesized from cholesterol. So cholesterol can be produced in the body. So we can just produce it without having to eat it. But the production of cholesterol in the body is a very costly process. So this takes a lot of energy. So that is why we still need to be consuming cholesterol and obtaining cholesterol from our diet. And obviously cholesterol is found in Animal products. So, if you are eating animal based products, then you are good. You are definitely getting enough cholesterol, although you still need to be eating healthy fats as well. But, a consideration for all of my plant based athletes out there, you are not getting cholesterol from your food. So, you especially need to be prioritizing healthy fats, which will help support the production of cholesterol inside of your body since you're not obtaining it from food. So just a little side note there. A great example of how this has gone wrong over the years has been the low-fat craze. And I mean, unfortunately, like super unfortunately, there are still low-fat products out on the market. Low-fat yogurts, non-fat milk. I mean, the list goes on and on. And what happened is when this craze was super popular, a bunch of women started going low-fat And what we saw was a huge increase in hormonal dysfunction in women. So there is a clear, clear relationship between the amount of fat that you consume and the health of your sex hormones. So definitely something to take into consideration just in your own life and in your own diet moving forward. A big takeaway that I want you to take from this entire episode is that the three sex hormones that we were just talking about are intimately related to all of the other systems that we're going to talk about next. So if any one of these systems are off, if they're not working properly, if something is backed up, that is going to impact your sex hormone balance and just overall health of your hormones in general. So before we dive in to the next system, let's just briefly cover some of the conditions that present from dysregulated hormones. And I'm sure you have either experienced some of these or they are pretty much common knowledge. So these are things like PMS, right? The week before your period, you're experiencing some type of issues. They can be mood issues, anxiety, depression, sleep dysregulation. This could look like insomnia, waking up in the middle of the night, super painful cramps, irregular periods, missed periods, hormonal acne, bloating. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And these are all subclinical things. Now at the clinical level, so actual diagnoses, we see things like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, infertility, dysmenorrhea, which is just really painful periods, and amenorrhea, which is missed periods. Okay, moving on to our second system and second hormones that are involved in overall hormonal health, and this is going to be dun dun dun! dun big surprise: blood sugar regulation and insulin. So let's talk about insulin for just a moment. So insulin is a hormone that's released from your pancreas when your blood sugar becomes elevated or when it goes over its natural little happy medium, happy homeostasis line. And so basically anytime that you eat food, besides just pure fat, which you're probably never just consuming pure fat. So anytime that you eat food, your blood sugar rises. And when your body senses your blood sugar rising, insulin comes out to the rescue. And so insulin is kind of like this escort, a male escort, we can call him. And he shuttles the glucose out of your bloodstream and he takes it over to cells for the cells to take it up. And insulin is basically like a key. So he is the key to the door, which the cell is the door that allows glucose, sugar to enter into the cell. And now the glucose can produce energy or perform any function that it needs. And so the issue with insulin is if you have a dysregulated blood sugar, so if your blood sugar is constantly spiking, if it's constantly going through the roof and then it's constantly crashing, what that can eventually lead to is an overproduction of insulin and eventually insulin resistance. So basically insulin stops being able to do its job as the little key and the cells stop responding to the key. So they know longer open their door to let the sugar glucose go in and so when this happens then your body thinks oh no our blood sugar it's still elevated i need to release more insulin and this process is cyclical so now you have consistently elevated blood glucose your body can't utilize sugar that's being consumed and now you have an excess of insulin circulating in your body and insulin is a very powerful hormone in relation to your sex hormones i want you to know that insulin increases an enzyme called aromatase you don't have to memorize that i promise but what this is really important to know that insulin is or excuse me aromatase is involved in the conversion of your androgens. So these are your testosterone, for example, and it increases the conversion of testosterone to estrogen, really estradiol. So what you need to take home from this is if you have elevated insulin levels, your body is going to be converting more testosterone into more estrogen. And what this can lead to is an excess of estrogen, or sometimes you might have heard this called estrogen dominance. And having too much estrogen in the body is not a good thing. We experience tons of symptoms from estrogen dominance, and we're going to talk about those in a little bit. But I really want you to know how insulin plays a role in this whole process. So hopefully you were able to follow along a little bit there. But the big take-home message here is that your blood sugar regulation is intimately connected to your sex hormones from a number of different connection points. So here are some conditions that present when your blood sugar is out of whack. So some of the things that come up are hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia. So this is kind of what I mentioned earlier about either dipping into a low blood sugar state or constantly being in a super elevated blood, sh- blood sugar state. And there are a lot of symptoms that come along with both of these things. So one of them um, is anxiety. We feel like anxiety or nervousness, nausea when you're in that low blood sugar state, low energy, Fatigue, feeling grumpy, feeling hangry, afternoon crashes. Um, over time, consistently elevated insulin could, like I mentioned earlier, obviously lead to insulin resistance, which is not a good thing. That is a stepping stone towards prediabetes and diabetes. It is connected to PCOS. About 70 to 75% of all women who have PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. It's a hallmark in the uh, pathology of PCOS. Weight gain and weight loss can also be associated with dysregulated blood sugar. And, you know, all of these things are things that you really don't want to be experiencing. So if you are, definitely take note here that maybe blood sugar regulation is a point of um, improvement that you might need to be focusing on moving forward. Okay, next system is the HPA axis. So this stands for the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. And so the key word here is adrenals. And so whenever you think adrenals, we think stress. So this is talking all about your stress hormones as well as your stress response. So there are a number of hormones that we get to talk about when talking about the HPA axis and your stress response. Um, But the main ones are going to be cortisol, DHEA, both of which are produced from cholesterol as well, synthesized from cholesterol, and also epinephrine, or otherwise known as adrenaline. So these are some of the common ones, and these are going to be produced in your adrenal glands, and they are connected to your sex hormones, especially DHEA and progesterone. So I won't go into the full family tree breakdown or anything here, but just know that All of these hormones are intimately connected to one another. And in fact, some of them produce, some of them become metabolized into the other. And something that I find really fascinating is the act that happens in menopause or postmenopause. So obviously your ovaries stop producing estrogen Um, when you reach menopause. And so what happens is your body still needs a little bit of estrogen, but your ovaries are no longer producing estrogen when you hit menopause. And so instead what takes over are your adrenal glands. So now estrogen, just a little bit of it, is still being produced by the adrenals. And so we can start to draw connections here between if your adrenals are extremely taxed if they are overloaded because you live a very stressful life like all of us do then that impacts your adrenals ability to be able to produce some of this estrogen So, something really common that we see around the age of perimenopause, menopause, or even postmenopause, this is often a really stressful time in women's life. They often have children at some degree of age. Um, They are, you know, well deep into their careers. They are managing relationships. Maybe they're even trying to take care of now aging family members. Like, women of this age have so much stress and they are starting to go through these hormonal changes. And this is why we see such a high incidence of hot flashes or, you know, night sweats, uh, mood changes, all of the things that come along, all of the negative things that come along with this change in life stage can be exacerbated by poor adrenal function. And even in menstruating people, your adrenals still produce to some degree some sex hormones. So again, as you can see, stress, any type of stress is going to affect your stress hormones directly from a mechanistic pathway perspective. One more quick connection I want to draw here is stress. When you so you experience stress, one of the hormones that you release, like I mentioned, is cortisol. Now, cortisol's job, one of cortisol's job is to increase your blood sugar levels. And this is because if in, you know, ancient times you were experiencing stress, you needed to have enough sugar in your blood to be able to utilize that for energy quickly to then be able to either fight or flight. So if you're stressed, you have more cortisol in your body, it is increasing your blood glucose. And now we circle back to the blood sugar blood sugar dysregulation conversation, where that also has an impact on your sex hormones as well. So, here are some conditions that present when your HPA axis is a little burnt out or a little out of whack. The first one, like I just alluded to, is burnout. So, just feeling completely done. You're tired all the time. You have a lack of motivation. You have a lack of zest for life. You are just burnt out and done. Chronic fatigue is another one. Um, Unfortunately, insomnia is another one. So you're not able to get quality sleep. You have a hard time going to sleep. Um, It's that wired and tired feeling. You're exhausted because you haven't slept and yet you still cannot sleep. Um, And also hormonal symptoms are going to be another uh, sign of possible HPA dysregulation. So again, PMS, painful periods, irregular periods, missed periods, as well as thyroid dysfunction. So if you've got any labs back with impaired thyroid function in one way or another, this could also be connected to your HBA axis. Okie joke, moving right along to our next system, which is actually an organ. We're going to talk about your liver. I love livers. (laughs) Livers are wonderful. And you should love your liver, too, because it is probably one of the most important. Well, all of your organs are important, but this is a big one for sure. So your liver health is extremely important for your hormonal health. Estrogen is metabolized in your liver. So what that means is I mentioned earlier, we have three different types of estrogen and those have to be processed. They have to be processed to once they've done their job, they have to be transformed. They have to change to be able to be then excreted out of your body. And for estrogen in particular, the way that we get rid of it is through our poop. So what is important to know besides estrogen, uh, all toxins, not just toxins, tons of compounds need to be processed in your liver. So this could be synthetic estrogens, whether that be from oral contraceptives um, or any other form of hormonal birth control you're using. This could be environmental estrogen-like compounds. So BPA being one of them. Obviously, that is, I don't know if it's actually officially banned, but we you should not be consuming BPA and really a lot of other plastics also contain these estrogen mimicking compounds. That Again, that's a whole nother conversation. We could do a whole nother episode on that. But just know that your liver still has to process these things. Uh, Food additives, caffeine, alcohol, basically everything has to be detoxified through the liver. So if your liver isn't doing its job properly to eliminate any of these things, or if it's just not functioning optimally, maybe because it's backed up from an overload of all of those toxins that i just mentioned this can lead to a production of really harmful metabolites of these certain estrogens which i'll just touch on super super briefly and it could also eventually lead to estrogen dominance as well as even estrogen related cancers such as breast cancer so i'm not going to go too too into detail with this, but I just want you to know the three estrogens that we mentioned earlier, they basically have a choice. So they can be metabolized. They can be broken down into three different pathways. And what determines those three different pathways are things like our overall health of our body. So that could be nutrient status. It could be the other balance of other hormones, like a lot of different things. It could be how burdened our liver is. So, a lot of different things could determine what pathway these estrogens decide to slide down. But unfortunately, two out of the three are negative. And one, particularly the 4OH pathway, is can uh, carcinogenic and could lead to those estrogenic cancers so it's really important when talking about our liver is that we need to optimize our liver to be able to function best to promote those positive pathways not promote promote the negative pathways we want to support our liver health so it is not overburdened and it can just do its job like a well-oiled machine like it's supposed to. Again, we could do a whole nother episode, a solo episode on the liver and how to support it, which I'll go into a little bit at the end of this one, um, but just for a big overview. So some conditions that can present from a sluggish liver or from a liver that is not functioning Functioning, functioning optimally would be estrogen dominance. So symptoms of estrogen dominance are things like breast tenderness, mood swings, weight gain, acne, and painful periods. Uh, This could lead to, so a sluggish liver could present as cravings, like super gnarly food cravings, blood sugar issues. Again, a connection here between blood sugar regulation, hormones, and the liver. Uh, Poor digestion, so especially fats. So your liver produces bile. And then bile is eventually stored in the gallbladder and then secreted out into the small intestine to help break down fat. So if your liver is not functioning properly, if your bile is stagnant, if it's not being produced well, this could lead to a bunch of digestive symptoms downstream. And also headaches. Headaches are another big sign of sluggish liver as well. Okay, second to last system here, the gut. The gut hormone connection is huge. I know when I mentioned my story at the very beginning of this podcast, I was talking about my gut and how just destroyed it was for years of oral contraceptive use. Uh, Long-term antibiotics, my poor diet as a child, so many things, you know, drinking in college, like all of the things. Um, And so one of the huge areas that I had to focus on months before I started to even transition off of the oral contraceptive was healing my gut. And so like I mentioned earlier, once once estrogen has been metabolized in your liver, it must be excreted through your stool. So if you are constipated, if you have leaky gut, if you have slow motility, or even if you just have any type of dysbiosis, so any type of unfavorable overgrowth of bugs in your gut, this could cause estrogen to become unconjugated in your stool. So basically all the work that your liver did to really excrete this compound, it just undoes all of that work. And then your estrogen can actually be reabsorbed through the colon. So what this means for you is now you are going to be having more estrogen circulating throughout your body than was originally intended. Because remember, you don't need that estrogen anymore that's in your stool. You're getting ready to poop it out and be done with it. But if it's being reabsorbed, now this can cause estrogen dominance, which we just talked about those symptoms just a couple of minutes ago. And the gut can also... Severely, severely impact your skin. So, acne, especially. So, sometimes when we think acne is a hormonal issue, it can actually just really be a gut issue. And this is why getting to the root cause of your issues is going to be so, so important for your healing. So, here are some conditions that present from a dysregulated gut estrogen dominance, being one of them, again, direct connection to your sex hormones. Things like constipation, diarrhea, heartburn, bloating, nausea, you know, all the telltale signs of a gut that isn't working great. Uh, Food sensitivities are a huge indicator that your gut is not working well. Leaky gut, which could lead to things like acne, rashes, skin issues, eczema, um, and it could also just in general, so if you are having gut issues, they could accelerate to other things, such as dysbiosis, like I mentioned, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, a yeast overgrowth, anything of that sort. Okay. Now, moving on to our final system here, which is thyroid hormones. So this might be coming a little out of left feel for you if you're like, whoa, okay, I'm here to talk about hormone health. I thought we were going to talk about sex hormones, and we're talking about all of these other things, and now thyroid is coming up. Whoa. Whoa. Yes, so thyroid is super, super important, and thyroid dysregulation is extremely common, especially in women, and it is innately connected to your sex hormones as well. So, super brief overview of your thyroid and all that's involved so we have your tsh which if you've ever gotten blood work done and if you've ever gotten your thyroid function tested your conventional doctor probably only tested this and so that is your thyroid stimulating hormone which is released from the pituitary gland and then it tells your thyroid basically to make your actual thyroid hormones And so your actual thyroid hormones are called T3 and T4. So T3 is the active form of your thyroid hormone. So this T4 has to then be activated to this T3 form for it to then go throughout the body and do all of its very, very important work. And so, the thing about our thyroid, it, it is very impacted by other hormones. So, basically, it is very sensitive. And anytime that any other hormones say something to it or tell it what to do, it just does it, whether that be good or bad. So, things like nutrient insufficiencies, stress, sex hormone status, like this all impacts your thyroid dramatically. A couple direct connections are stress. So stress stress actually inhibits the production of TSH, which thereby then can inhibit the production of your thyroid hormones. It basically stops the process from happening. And it also can convert or excuse me, it can also impact the conversion of T4 to T3. So you might not be able to make your active thyroid hormone if you are stressed out oral contraceptives have a direct impact on your thyroid. So it impacts something called your thyroid binding proteins, which basically are these little proteins that shuttle, again, like an escort. (laughs) They escort your thyroid hormones to all of the tissues that need it. And so if you have um, too many of these proteins, basically it just makes less active thyroid hormones available to be able to do its job. And bottom line, it can also, all of these processes just promote dysregulated sex hormones. Because again, this is all related. And one of the things that I just want to be a take-home message here is that thyroid is often missed in conventional medicine until it's too late. Basically, they do not tell you if anything's wrong because they are not necessarily testing the right things until you already have clinical diagnosable hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism, or even Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease. So definitely some signs and symptoms to keep in mind as well as some conditions that present from a dysregulated thyroid are going to be, like I just mentioned, hypothyroidism, which is a lack of available thyroid hormones. And this could be primary, which is Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition, or it could be secondary. And some symptoms that go along with this are going to be constipation, fatigue, muscle cramps, uh, mood issues, cold hands and cold feet, as well as weight gain. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, so having an overactive thyroid is going to be hyperthyroidism, and this can present as things such as weight loss, nervousness, anxiousness, irritability, diarrhea, fatigue, basically like the complete opposite symptoms as an underactive thyroid, but some of the symptoms overlap as well. Okay, Phew, you made it through all of that. That was a lot. That was just like a super surface level, big overview of all of the hormones and all of the systems and organs that are involved in your hormonal health. So let's start to tie this in now to how this dysregulation of any of these symptoms could impact your performance as an athlete. So some of this is common sense, right? Like if you are not feeling your best, of course, that's going to impact your performance. But just looking a little bit deeper here. So if you have any dysregulation in your sex hormones, if you are experiencing anything like PMS, mood swings, anxiety, cramping, bloating, like any of the stuff that we mentioned, like of course, this is going to impact your performance. If you have to take two weeks out of every month because your PMS is so bad and then your actual period is so bad. Like That's a lot of time that you are missing out on, whether that be training, whether that be missing out on red point burns because you just feel like absolute garbage, or maybe your anxiety is so bad that it's impacting your climbing. I know that was a huge one for me. Like Those are all things that are going to get in the way of you leveling up as an athlete insulin and blood sugar dysregulation. So I see this so much with my athletes, and that's why blood sugar balance is like top number one thing that I work on with so many people. So hypoglycemia, so dipping into that low blood sugar state occurs often, often when we are not fueling adequately for our activities. So again, this is going to lead to something like a bonk midway through your session. It's going to impede your recovery time. It's going to make you feel anxious and nauseous and nervous, especially when you're trying to climb. You might be shaky and icky and gross. Maybe you just cannot get up that last hill climb on your road bike. Like whatever it's going to be, it freaking sucks. (laughs) And of course, it's all gonna impact your training. It's gonna impact your performance. It's just not gonna make you the best athlete that you could potentially be. HPA axis dysregulation. This is another huge one with athletes. We push our limits all the time. We feel stress often, especially if you are performing a high stress sport. And so constantly being in the state of flight or fight, fight or flight could absolutely lead to burnout. It could lead you to feeling low motivation to training. It could impact your sleep, which then trickles down into your motivation. Like you can see the cyclical nature of this all. Um, But also it really can impact your psychological performance in sport. So If your HBA axis is dysregulated, you are no longer resilient. You become shaken up. Your feathers are ruffled basically anytime anything happens to you. And I really like to describe this as like, I just can't keep my shit together anymore if my adrenals are being taxed. And so, of course, this is all going to impact your ability as an athlete. And then finally, thyroid. If your thyroid is not functionally functioning optimally, even if it's not enough to be clinically diagnosed, you could still be experiencing the symptoms that come along with either an underactive or overactive thyroid. So again, these could be constipation or diarrhea. So gut issues, anemia, menstrual irregularities, heat regulation issues, poor concentration, weight gain, weight loss. Again, super common sense that this is all going to impact your ability to be able to perform well in your sport, train, and even just the longevity in your sport overall. So now that you have a super clear understanding of all of the different hormones, all of the different systems, and really how a dysregulation in any of those pieces of the puzzle could impact you as an athlete, let's start to focus on what you can actually do to improve your hormonal balance and some actionable tips to health. The first is going to be gut health this is the foundational step that really should just be the number one, no questions asked checklist on your hormone healing journey. Because again, so much of your ability to clear excess hormones involves with your poop. So you have to be having regular daily bowel movements. So that means either one to three really great solid poops every single day. And if you right away are thinking, wow, that is not me, then you definitely need to be focusing on a few of the following tips to really help your gut health overall. So the first would be increasing the diversity of your microbiome. So this means eating a lot of different foods. So you should be switching up your protein sources, your nuts, your fats, your veggies, your fruits, rotating all of these things is going to be super essential for building out a diverse array or diverse population of bugs in your gut that is really going to help the overall health of it. And with that also comes probiotics. And you might be thinking, oh, yeah, I, I take a probiotic. I've been taking a probiotic for years. But have you been rotating your probiotics? This is a huge one. There are three that I like to see my clients rotating from throughout the year. And this could be you take one you know, through the course of the entire bottle, and then you're done, and then you move on to the next one. Maybe you take a couple breaks uh, in between, like a couple months in between. But the three that I recommend are going to be the Megaspore Biotic um, from Microbiome Labs, and I will link that in the show notes. It's a spore-based probiotic, so different strains than you would find in this next one. Uh, the next one would be again, I'll link my favorite from Claire Labs. It's just a combination of the lactobacillus strains as well as the bifido bifidobacterium strains as well. And the third, especially that I love to tie in for any of my diarrhea or loose stool clients is going to be a Saccharomyces B, which is actually a beneficial yeast. Um, but same thing. So rotating probiotics is going to be extremely helpful. And again, I'll link to all of those in the show notes. And my third tip for gut health would be to identify any food sensitivities that you might have. And this is really hard to do on your own on your own, I definitely suggest working with a practitioner to really narrow down what might be impacting you. But this can be really important for just, again, improving those daily bowel movements, getting to that one to three optimal stools every single day. So really identifying your own personal food sensitivities is very helpful in this whole gut health hormone conversation. All right, second point. So the second thing that you should be doing to support your overall health is going to be supporting your liver. So this really involves supporting all of your detoxification pathways. So my very first tip is going to be to move your body and to sweat often these are so so essential in getting everything to actually be excreted excreted along with your poop because we just talked about gut but again opening up those detox pathways by moving and sweating getting a sauna is great doing hot yoga anything that's going to get things moving is really really essential for the health of your liver also there are a number of foods and nutrients that you can consume to support both phase one and phase two detoxification of your liver. So again, tying this back to estrogen in order for it to be transformed and excreted into the way that it should be, we need to be having all of these nutrients present to really support that process. So some foods to start adding in are going to be antioxidants. So these can be found in things like citrus fruits and berries and Even veggies like bell pepper and broccoli, things like that. Next, protein. So I love high quality animal protein and bone broth especially, um, but any protein will do. So any complete protein is going to be really, really essential for including every single day, obviously, but also for your liver health. Cruciferous veggies. This is a big one, both for your liver detoxification as well as supporting a healthy estrogen balance. So things like broccoli, um, cauliflower, arugula, any type of cruciferous veggie is great here. And finally, B vitamins. So B vitamins are crucial for a number of reasons. They are cofactors for a bunch of these processes. B6 is especially needed for the conversion of some of these hormones. Super important. So make sure you are either getting sufficient amount of B vitamins through your diet or supplementing with a very high quality B vitamin of sort. And I, again, I will list some of my favorites in the show notes for you as well two more points and how to support your liver. The first is going to be balance your blood sugar. This should be no surprise. At this point, you already know the connection between blood sugar, sex hormones, liver health. Like This should be a no-brainer. So balancing your blood sugar at every single meal is gonna be super, super important. And finally, my absolute favorite tip for this is going to be castor oil packs. So if you haven't heard of these, They are phenomenal. I will link again to my favorite in the show notes. But castor oil packs are super, super helpful for reducing inflammation over your liver. They help the production and flow of bile. So, so many benefits. And literally, it's just like this cozy little cotton pad that you soak in organic castor oil and you wear over your liver either for an hour or two or overnight. And it's just super comforting. And it gives you tons of benefits for very minimal effort. All right, the final tip for helping you to really maximize and optimize your hormone health is going to be focused on your diet and lifestyle. <laughs> so top tips here include healthy fats. Remember the cholesterol conversation that we had in the very beginning of this episode? I hope you do. So including things like avocados, olive oil, coconut oil, avocado oil, olives, nuts, seeds, healthy fats coming from animal protein as well. If you do consume that, really prioritizing this is going to be essential. Sleep. Sleep is a non-negotiable for hormone health, guys, for stress levels, for detoxification, for literally everything. Getting quality sleep is going to be super, super important. So make sure your rooms are completely dark. Get blackout curtains. Don't let any light from devices or anything impede that light. Make sure you are keeping your room super cool. Wear an eye shade if you need. All of the things to implement. uh, Keeping your screen time down, you know, about two hours before, which is terribly hard, I know, but getting quality sleep is going to be essential. With that comes stress management. I can't tell you how much stress has played a role in my own hormone dysregulation this has become ever so more apparent since I started grad school it, it's just insane so doing things to really support your stress levels whether that be taking more rest days whether that be increasing self-care getting a massage going to yoga getting a pedicure I don't know whatever whatever's your jam just make sure you're doing it super regularly and with you know really good intention behind it as well. And last overall lifestyle and diet tip here is just adopting an anti-inflammatory lifestyle and anti-inflammatory diet overall. So again, stress creates inflammation. So reducing stress is going to reduce your inflammation. Just really trying to prioritize whole, real foods, removing any food sensitivities, and you know, any additional. Of course, this is not medical advice. I'm not telling you to go off any medications, but with the support of your doctor, if you can work towards reducing or even eliminating any type of prescription medication, this could also be really, really helpful in reducing overall inflammation as well. Again, this is me not saying go off your meds. This is me saying support your body and work with your doctor to maybe start reducing some of that dosage and then working towards coming off some of this once and for all all right. So those are some of my top actionable tips for you to start focusing on and start implementing to improve your own hormonal balance. Now I just want to conclude this episode by answering just three questions that I received over Instagram because I really want to make sure that these listeners are supported and get some of their questions answered. So the first is hormonal acne, which obviously if you listen to my story at the beginning of this episode has been my Achilles heel, my primary complaint basically since day one of my hormone journey. And so there are a few things that I really suggest uh, looking at or taking into consideration with hormonal acne. The first is going to be finding the actual root cause. Now, gut dysfunction can be a huge one here. Again, tying this all back to all the information that we chatted about, it is essential for you to make sure that your digestion, inflammation is all under control in your gut first to really kind of rule out anything else that might be going on. High levels of androgen. So testosterone can also lead to an increase in sebum production. So that's kind of basically like the serum and oil in your skin, which can lead to breakouts. And so this is often seen in those with PCOS, high levels of testosterone. And one of the symptoms is that really painful um, cystic acne. However, estrogen dominance, so having too much estrogen in relation to progesterone can also cause hormonal acne. So what I suggest is always getting Testing. This is like a non negotiable for a lot of my hormone clients who decide to go this path. I mean, obviously, it's up to them if they want to test, but we cannot treat your exact hormonal imbalances without actually knowing. What's not in balance to begin with? And so, doing some type of hormone analysis, I prefer the Dutch chest. It's urine based, super, super efficient to determining your root cause of what's actually out of whack, out of balance within your own hormones, so we can then start treating. And so, what treatment looks like is often diet modifications. So, those with acne often are deficient in a number of nutrients. So, really making sure we replenish things like zinc, omega. Omega-3 fatty acids and even magnesium is going to be really, really essential to that, as well as targeting those specific hormones with some specific herbs or, again, nutrients to really get everything back into balance. So the second question I got is eating and training to utilize your cycle best. Now, my answer here might differ from other things that you see on the internet, but coming from a food slash physiology approach, one thing to maybe keep in mind is that throughout our cycle, a normal cycle, so if you are actually menstruating and if you're not on an oral contraceptive, we actually become a little bit more insulin resistant during the luteal phase. So the second half of your phase right before your period of your cycle. So what this means is that possibly you might become less insulin sensitive, so you might not be able to use your sugars quite as readily as you would in the first half of your cycle, or potentially you might experience more blood sugar dysregulation, like some of those highs and lows in the second half of your cycle. So from a food perspective, you should always be balancing your blood sugar, but I would maybe consider really prioritizing more complex carbohydrates, really increasing fat, increasing protein during that second half of your cycle and even in the first few days of menstruation to really just kind of help support that overall. And then as far as training goes, I know there's a lot of people out there who talk about You know, slowing down or choosing gentle movement, one part of your cycle or the other. However, I am not a huge fan of that, to be completely honest with you. I approach this more from an intuitive perspective. What is your body telling you that day? Are you feeling low energy? If so, maybe instead of doing that super high intensity workout, you could go on a nice gentle walk and do some core instead, for example, or maybe just like a really gentle mountain bike ride, whatever that may be. Or if the opposite, if you wake up and you feel freaking jazzed and ready to go, like, yeah, do that 20 miler today. Do that, you know, limit boulder session, whatever it may be, because if we're only trying to rely on what externally, what we think we should be doing at certain times in our cycle. I think that's really limiting. And I think it's actually going to hold you back from tuning into what your body is telling you and then really basing your your training and what you decide to do based off of that. So again, that's just my perspective on it. Last but not least, final question here, irregular periods and super painful cramps. Suggestions. So basically, anything that I said in this episode so far, supporting your gut, supporting your liver, supporting your stress response regulating your blood sugar. Those are going to be super, super essential things to take into consideration for helping. Um, there are some nutrients as well. You know, Don't start taking this blindly. Always work with a practitioner or check with your medical doctor before beginning anything. But calcium supplementation can be very helpful with PMS symptoms. Lots of research on that. Uh, magnesium. And there's some other herbs as well that we could do to help Reducing inflammation is also a big one. So again, eating an anti-inflammatory diet. And finally, I would just really recommend if you can invest the funds, invest the time and the resources into it is doing a Dutch test because seeing what your hormones are actually doing under the surface is crucial. It's basically the difference between spending years and years trying to figure out what's going on to accelerating your healing to even just a few months because you actually have a targeted strategic approach that you can do to make a difference right away. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up this week's episode all on healthy hormones for athletes with a period. There was a lot of information in here, guys. This was pretty long. I was not expecting it to be this robust of an episode. But you know what? Here we are. Hopefully, you'll be able to rewind, redigest some of this information and really start applying it into your own journey. Make sure you check out the show notes for some of the things that I mentioned like the probiotic as well as some of my other favorite brands like the castor oil packs. I will link all of that in the show notes and I will also put a couple timestamps as well to help you just refer back and kind of maybe jump through the episode if you need to re-listen to any particular parts if you found this episode helpful, I would love for you to rate and even review this show. So getting a few stars on my both Apple and Spotify podcast homepage is going to be really, really helpful for helping this podcast get out to even more people who need to hear it. So if you have the time, please scroll down to the bottom of the show homepage, whether using Apple or Spotify or wherever you find your podcast, and just click the star button for me, however many stars you want to give me, I would really appreciate it. It should only take you about 60 seconds. And again, that is going to be the absolute best way to support me right now on this podcast journey. As always, thank you so much for listening and until next time. (laughs) Yes, <laughs>